Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you, and thank you so much for being here. And once again, if you're a guest, uh, we're just so glad to have you here, and we hope the service is a blessing to you. Today, we're actually starting a brand new sermon series called This Is Us. And uh, have any of you seen the show This Is Us? Any of you watched the show? Well, look, at several of you have seen this. Uh, it's one of the most popular shows right now on television. They're in several seasons, and um, it's kind of an interesting show. It's a different twist uh, based on... Uh, the way that they create the show. So rather than just doing the show in chronological order, they'll start off in one decade. So you might be in the 80s, and then all of a sudden you're in the 2000s, then you're back in the 70s, and then you're in the 90s. But you're following the same family, and you're following the same family struggle all along. And so if you don't watch every episode, and you don't watch the episodes in the correct order, even though they go back and forth throughout history, you're completely lost. And uh, this is, uh, my, my wife and I, haven't I told you this before, my wife and I, we don't watch uh, that much television, we don't even have cable, but for whatever reason, during the winter months, we always, for whatever reason, try to find, actually, she finds a show that we should watch together, right, uh, when the kids go to bed. And so when we first got married, we watched this show called Grey's Anatomy, anybody familiar with that? Uh, and then from there, and we've been married almost 10 years from there, we progressed to the show called Parenthood, right? And then all of a sudden, we're stuck on this show called This Is Us. And here's the thing, in all of these shows, and a lot of the shows that we watch on TV, they're all these heart-wrenching, just emotional, like tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. In fact, at the end of every single show, Lisa's always bawling her eyes out, and I'm always going, why do we watch this? <laughs> I mean, is, this, this is just life? Life's just so depressing? Like, this is just crazy, or is this actually truly what life is all about? Or do we watch it because it actually makes us feel better about our lives? Like, I always wonder that. Um, and so it's just interesting when you think about that. But you know that church is no different? Did you know that? That so often in church, uh, that if we're not careful, like, we can create scenarios and create church services where it's just, we're always dealing with, like, you know, the hard-hitting things, and we always feel like these, you know, the weight of the world on our shoulders, and... Um, you can even leave church, you know, the way that you design a church service, just even feeling like, oh gosh, there's no hope and, you know, we're, you know, we're crying and we don't really understand what God has done for us. And it's interesting because everyone has a history. Every church has a history, including Shepherd's Gate, and we're a, we're a young church. We get to celebrate our birthday, our 30th birthday, uh, not too long ago, but we're a relatively young congregation. And uh, when we look to our past, we can look at the things that we've done well, and we can celebrate those. And we can also point out the things that maybe we haven't done so well, the times when we didn't get it right, and we own up to those things, and we admit those things, and we move on. Uh, just like in our own lives, right? We all know we're sinners. We all know that there's things in our lives that we wish that we wouldn't have done, or that we wouldn't have done, or that we would have done differently. But thanks be to God, he gives us his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy time and time again to get through those things. But I'm always wondering, you know, and it gets so hard in our world today to actually understand what is actually real. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, what is actually truly real? We watch these shows, and it just seems impossible. Uh, after tragedy after tragedy, somebody's always dying, somebody's always getting an accident, somebody's always getting a crazy diagnosis. Is that really, truly what's going on in our lives and in our world? What is actually, truly real in our world and in our lives. And as we think about that, as we start this series, 
that's what we want to look at. And it's funny because uh, we just had a new member class uh, that our adult director, Diane Jacobson, taught, and there was 52 people in the class. And part of becoming here a member here at Shepherd's Gate is you have to sit down with John and I, very intimidating, just so you know. And, uh, and we just want get, to you know, get to know you and see if you have any questions about our church. And every single time that we meet with people, people begin to tell us their stories. And they always kind of pause before they tell us their stories because they're kind of a little bit intimidated to you say, well, this is kind of stuff that we did. You know, like they lower their voice like they did in the past. And every single time we're just like, listen, you're like everybody else. We're all screwed up, all right? We all have a story. And we're so glad that you're here. It's the same thing with pre-marriage couples. You meet with pre-marriage couples and they come in and they begin to open up and their voice lowers and they're like, well, we haven't always done the things that we're supposed to do or this or that. And uh, really, truly, you know, oftentimes it's when you not only are bringing a couple together, two individuals, it's when you're bringing their families together as well that can create a lot of drama in situations, which is why John and I have now gone to just advising them to elope. Uh, we just feel like that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> We, we, we offer that as a service. We'll go on the cruise or, you know, on the trip with you. And yet none of them ever take us up on it. Um, but it's true. We all have a story. We all have something that we can look back to. In uh, this church, we know, is make up of broken, sinful people. As Christians, we acknowledge it. But thanks be to God that we don't dwell on that, that we find our encouragement in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And even in our history that we are connected to a church body called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And if you didn't know we were Lutheran, surprise. But we're connected to a greater church body. And not only are we connected to a church body, we're connected to Jesus who lived nearly 2,000 years ago that gave us this incredible word that, uh, that he speaks to us. And then we're truly we're actually connected all the way back to the garden, to the first man and to the first woman. See that this is us, how our story would just make an incredible TV series. And there's been this recent movement, I gotta be honest with you, there's been this recent movement among some Protestant pastors um, that, you know, that the fact that we're living in kind of this postmodern, post-Christian society to kind of shy away from, you know, having the Bible be the basis and the foundation of our faith. And so what they've kind of said is because there's a lot of people now that maybe they grew up in church and they're struggling with their faith or maybe they went off to college and a college professor, you know, that, that doesn't believe what we believe maybe got into their head and convinced them to, to believe something else. There's kind of this idea now that, okay, well, maybe we should change our approach to how we share the gospel with people. And so the idea is, is rather than pointing to the stories in the Bible, rather than pointing to God's word as our final authority for life, instead we point to those who followed Jesus. We, we point to his disciples and we say, look at these guys, look at what they did and what they were willing to go through. And even in, in, through intense persecution, they knew Jesus personally and they weathered that storm and they still had the faith that they did. And see, for us, as, as we hear these things, as, as these things begin to get unpacked, sometimes we go, wait a second here. Are we getting a little too ahead of ourselves? Are we getting a little bit too far out there and trying to bring people along. And even one of them even said that in our culture today, it's not, it, it's not that you can simply say, I believe in God and so should you because the Bible tells me so. And we begin to grapple with that and I know that they make a pretty compelling case for it and I get the heart behind it in wanting those who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. But here, hear me again, I understand this pastor's heart and his passion to want to do whatever he can to reach people who are far from God. But I want you to know, here at Shepherd's Gate, we put such a high 
priority on the word of God, the Bible. And the reason we do is because of what the Bible tells us about who our God is and who our Savior is. And I want you to see this in John 1.1. This is John, one of the gospel writers. This is how he begins his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Greek word for word in John 1.1 is logos, which means revelation. So I want you to hear this. This verse identifies Jesus as the ultimate revelation of God. He was with the Father from eternity. He was God. So Jesus and God, God was with Jesus, Jesus is God. And our human minds, our finite minds can't understand this. It's really hard for us to even comprehend that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and that Jesus was with God from the beginning and that they've always existed. Our human mind cannot comprehend that. But I want to go on to say this. We also use word of God to identify the revealed scriptures, okay? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down by men, and given to us as a revelation from God. You see, it's in the written word of God we find all that we need for our salvation. So in other words, the written word reveals the word, Jesus. When we open our Bibles, we are led to Jesus. He is the one that speaks into our lives. In fact, as I said, we're a Lutheran church. We're connected back to this guy named Martin Luther from 500 years ago, and he came to salvation by reading Romans chapter one. The word of God intersected with his life, and he grew up at a time when people weren't actually reading the Bible. In fact, the church leaders at the time, the priests weren't even reading or even had seen a Bible. And so because of this, the Reformation, everything that came out of that is from the scriptures, And so really, truly, since that day, and our church continues to do this, has always done that, we believe and teach nothing more and nothing less than what the scriptures themselves teach and what Christians throughout the ages have always believed. And if there's things in the Bible that make us uncomfortable, and yes, guess what? There's things in the Bible that make us uncomfortable. And there's things in the Bible that we don't completely understand. And there's things in the Bible that, yes, sometimes are a mystery to us. We would point to this verse, right? We would say, okay, it's in Isaiah For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We admit that we're not God, that we don't have the mind of God, that we don't understand everything that God understands, that he's the creator, we're the creation, and that he is ultimately in control, and he is ultimately the one who sets the destiny of our lives in this world in motion. I mean, this is us. This is what we believe as a church. And just so you know, this affects everything that we do here. It affects the way that we preach, which is why we always have a main text, which is why we're always pouring into God's word. It affects the songs that we sing and the way that we do our kids and our youth and our student ministry You know, it was really interesting that last week uh, at our 10 o'clock service, we had our first grade Bible presentation. And this is the really weird part, is that I was part of forming that in the way that we do it now, way back even before Pastor John, when this gal was named Caroline was here. And it's so weird, I have a first grader. Like, what happened? How how do I have a seven-year-old? And I was sitting in the room, and it was hard for me to pay attention, because I'm like, man, when did I get so old? Like, how in the world... Do I have this kid and I'm now part of this program? And what I loved is they gave us the Bible as parents. And they said, we want you now to turn to your kid and we want you to look them in the eyes and we want you to tell them why the Bible is important to you. 
And what a powerful moment as the room was packed out with parents and grandparents and siblings of the kids that were getting their Bible. And I get to give my son a Bible. And I get to tell him, this is everything that you need for life is in this book. Everything you could possibly need. This is God's word. And it doesn't just contain the word of God. This is the word of God. It has the power, Henry, to transform your life. And read it, absorb it, look at it, memorize it. This thing is so powerful, and what an opportunity for us to do that. And as John said, how incredible it is for us as a church to have these two full-time trained staff workers that are now going to come alongside our staff and be able to pour into this church and our congregation and continue to take our church forward into the future. So if you're wondering what you can know to be true, know that God's word is real. That God's word is true, that it is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it can pierce our hearts, it can pierce our minds and literally transform each and every aspect of our lives. And today, this is why it's so important because this is really the foundation for the rest of this series that we're gonna be on for the next two months and we're gonna be diving into things that we specifically believe as a church And I'm really excited about this. But today, as we do every single year, if you haven't figured this out yet, we're going to talk specifically about something we value so highly here that we do it twice a month. And it's called Holy Communion. And really to understand Holy Communion and how much we appreciate it and respect it, you have to first understand that foundation about what we believe about God's word. And so today, for a few moments, we're going to look at how Jesus takes this common meal And he takes bread and wine, real bread and real wine, and he does something so powerful for us. Do you know that in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all include this in their account, Jesus instituting communion. Paul, one of the earlier followers of Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he also gives us details about this sacred meal. And here you have Jesus, he's with his disciples, he's making preparations to be with them, and he's going to um, institute this meal. He knows his time on earth is short, he knows one of them's going to betray him. And so here he is, he's getting ready to do something that's going to connect his disciples to him forever. And he's doing something that connects us to this day to him forever. And so I want you to turn to your chair Bibles, we're going to look at it together, page 832. If you have your own Bible, it's Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at Matthew's account. And as we do this, I just, maybe you've seen this a thousand times over. I want you just to let these words sink in together as we look at these words. And if you you, um, you can't read the chair Bible, the words will be on the screen for you. But this is what it says in Matthew chapter 26. Now, as they were eating... Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." See, what Jesus was doing is he was actually instituting something during a time of Passover. And the Jewish people, his disciples were Jewish people, they were, they were celebrating this meal that he 
had them celebrate for years and years and years. And so it was this actual annual tradition that they would do because the Israelites, God's chosen people from the Old Testament, they had actually been enslaved for 400 years. Imagine that being enslaved for 400 years. And God delivered them out of captivity. And so now 1,400 years later, think about this as being an episode of This Is Us, right? 400 years, now you're 1,400 years later, Jesus is with his disciples. His disciples are so used to celebrating this festival. This thing's been handed down year after year after year after year from generation to generation to generation. And it all comes out of the book of Exodus, and this is what it says in Exodus. This is what, basically what they're celebrating. Uh, God told them, this is a day, right? So they're celebrating the Passover. You are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So they're being commanded by God to celebrate the Passover meal. And here Jesus is with them celebrating this meal. And I love what it says just a few verses later. It says this, because of course all of these years would have gone by and they're kind of like, okay, what do we do when our kids ask? And he said, when your kids say to you, what do you mean by this service? Like, why are we having this celebration? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians but spared our houses. And so he's commanding them to pass this on to their kids. Now fast forward 1,400 years later, they've settled in Jerusalem, here he is, and he completely changes this entire meal that we now celebrate 2,000 years later. This is a real story that happened at a real time in history. And God commanded them to celebrate this event and he commanded them to pass it down to their kids. And now I want us to see how Jesus strategically and systematically ties and connects all of this history to himself. He knew that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice, that they would no longer need to be the slaughter of these lambs anymore. And I want you to think about that. 1,400 years of slaughtering lambs to celebrate this festival And everyone from PETA was really happy, right, when this came out. And all of the lambs were really happy as well, right? Okay, that's a bad joke, I know. Jesus becomes a sacrificial lamb once and for all. Maybe you remember this, even when John the Baptist saw him coming down the road. What did John the Baptist say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And so I want you to hear this this morning, how important this is what we do, that communion isn't just something that's a fly-by-night kind of thing that we just participate in because we think it's cute to do. You are so connected in history to God. We are connected to God through Jesus. We are connected to him. And I know that we take a moment, that we bow our heads, that we close our eyes, that we have this individual moment with God, that we prepare our hearts to receive something that is so real, and so beneficial to us that you're actually taking and eating real bread and you're drinking real wine, something that you can actually taste and you can smell and you can feel. And it's so interesting that as we do this, that we remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that we're brought back to our history, we're brought back to the cross, we're brought back to what Jesus has done for us, we're brought back to what Jesus instituted in the upper room, which is why we always repeat these words and the words of institution. 
We remember that we're fallen sinful people. We remember that our story isn't all you know, put together just perfectly right. And so we confess those sins. In fact, Luke is the one who says, do this in remembrance of me. And I want you to think about this. As you're remembering, this Hebrew root remember means that you relive the experience all over again. It's not that you relive your sins all over again. It's not like you go back and go, oh yeah, those sins that I committed in 1980, I need to confess those again. There are those sins that I committed in 1960, I gotta do those again. No, when you remember, you relive the experience all over again of what God has done for you, that again he forgives you, that again he washes your sins away, that again he gives you new life. That in Holy Communion, we are connected to him and we remember what he has done for us and that, listen to this, that we're also connected to one another and all those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you noticed this morning that you're not in church alone, right? Did you look around? Did you notice? Some of you are starting to move seats and I think that's wonderful. (laughs) And I love that. You're messing with people at 8.30 and I want you to continue to do that that you might actually get to know other people in our church. What an incredible thing, right? Yes, come on. Some of you are shaking your heads reluctantly, right? Amen, there we go. That we partake of this meal as a family, even people that we're at odds with, even at people that have said things or done things, even part of a church that maybe hasn't always done things the right way. And see, even as we receive communion, we can think of this as such an individual thing, that this is just, you know, this is my thing and this is between me and God, and there's certainly an aspect to that, but it's also part of God bringing us together at his family. And John and I talk all the time about, uh, you know, how cool it was back in biblical times, how they would have meals, and they would have these feasts. And I think maybe one day we need to get back to that, right? Having meals and having feasts celebrating God's story. You know, John and I, uh, last week, we got to go to a conference in Atlanta together, a leadership conference, and just uh, some incredible speakers, some incredible uh, communicators. And um, again, we don't agree uh, you know, on everything theologically with, with some of these people, but it was just interesting to be there and to hear some of the movements that are taking place in our nation. And uh, one of the speakers got up and he talked about you know, online church, right? And you guys all know we started this thing called live streaming back in February and we've had really good results with it. Uh, in fact, a few weeks ago when we had that ice storm and many of you stayed home, uh, you might remember that. Usually we get like 80 to 100 people who will watch the live stream and on the ice storm we had 250 um, people and that's because a lot of people weren't here. We thought, wow, that's really cool that they would stay at home and do that. And the number even isn't necessarily people, it's devices, because we don't know how many people are actually watching one device. So it's kind of cool to have that technology. And so he was kind of making the case that pretty soon uh, people are going to go to church more online than they are going to attend church. And he said in his church now, this is what happens, is that parents come and they bring their kids and their kids are in the kids program because they have an amazing kids program and the adults volunteer, but then they don't actually go into the worship center. They take the kids home and they watch the church service online. And he said that's about 48 to 50% of his adults in his church. And John and I looked at each other and we were like, wait a second, no. 
That can't, that's not why we do this. And if you didn't know this for the live streaming, the live streaming was so that people could check us out before they ever come in our doors. They could see our whole service. The whole idea behind live streaming are people that are sick or in the hospital or some of you people that have cottages that are three or four hours away so you can't get here on Sunday morning or whatever the case may be or maybe you're on a cruise ship and you paid for the Wi-Fi package and you want to tune in and listen to your favorite pastors. Come on. You know who you are. That was the whole idea behind this. Because here's the thing. Live stream, what are you going to do when you invite your friends to church if all you do is go to church online? Are you going to say, hey, put on your pajamas, come on over, jump in bed with me, and we can watch church together? <laughs> right? It's not going to happen. That's not what people are. Hey, come on, you know, bring some popcorn. We'll sit in the living room and we'll watch Shepherd's Gate on television. That's not what we're about. That's not what we want our church to be about. And I want you to see how this is connected to communion. We can't Amazon you communion on Sunday morning. You have to be here for us to serve you communion. That there's a community aspect, that there's a part of this where we do this together and we do it remembering what God has done for us. And here's my last point this morning. Lastly, when we receive communion, as we receive this real bread and this real wine, we receive Christ's body and blood, his real presence in, with, and under the bread and wine. Listen, we receive his real presence into our lives. Do you know why? Because that's what Jesus said when he instituted communion. I want you to look at the verse again. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. And it's for the forgiveness of sins. That every time we come to the table of the Lord, we don't have to come defeated with our heads down and beating ourselves up and feeling terrible. That we get to come and receive the forgiveness that God gives us. And so that even when life is tough and even when we're going through those difficult times and even when we don't understand maybe the situation that we're in, God invites us over and over and over again back to church And he invites us over and over again back to his table where in communion we receive his very body and his very blood. This is a real thing. And we receive his very presence which is for the strengthening of our faith. This incredible blessing that he gives you and that he gives me each and every time we receive communion. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. And what an incredible opportunity that again this year at 11.30 we get to see kids for the first time who've been trained in God's word receive communion and now begin that journey of being strengthened in their faith. So again, if you're here this morning and you're wondering what you're living in this world and you're wondering what is true and what is not true, you can bank on this. The word of God is true doesn't contain the Bible, it is the Bible. It is living and active for your life and for my life. And that when the Bible speaks, it has the authority to change our hearts and change our lives. And even if we don't totally comprehend what this all entails, where this is actually Christ's body and Christ's blood, we can by faith receive that as an incredible gift from our God and be strengthened in our faith and go out of this place with our heads held high, knowing we are forgiven and knowing that he is working on our behalf. And we can also go out there and spend time with the people that God has put in our lives, this incredible church we call Shepherd's Gate, people that are willing to walk alongside us and to encourage us in our faith. Amen? Amen. And so now, let's do it. Let's celebrate the meal that he has given us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this church this morning. 
God, and you know that nobody is here on accident, that we could, once again, that we could open your word and that, God, you gave us this incredible gift that you would reveal yourself to us in your word. And God, now, as you have instructed us to do, as you have commanded us to do, as you've always commanded your people throughout time, that we would take and eat, that we would do this often, remembering you. But God, before we receive the sacred meal, we first, we quiet our hearts, and we take this moment to confess our sins to you, those things that, that are on our hearts, that are on our minds, that we need to turn over to you. So now in this moment, in this time, in this place, we confess our sins to you. And this morning, your God has heard your confession. And because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us on the cross, he forgives you of all of your sins and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You see, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this remembering me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples and said, take drink, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, and it's given and it's shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this often, remembering me. So we come now, we receive his grace, his mercy, his joy, his peace that is ours in this meal.